Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 20. Sam, we made it to 20 episodes. That's awesome. I'm actually pretty surprised. I mean, we've put some hours into this podcast, but we've we've had a good time while doing it. So yeah. here's, to, here's to 20 more. For sure. Uh, unfortunately, episode 20 is going to be a, a lot of a lot of shit talking, I think. Um, yeah, I'm going to be a I'm going to swear a lot. So I'm sorry, mom. Sorry, I'm frustrated. Liz. I'm frustrated with the way that the Seahawks played on this last Saturday and obviously we're getting this to you out a little bit late and I've somewhat rationalized my thoughts but I'm still pissed so but before we get to shit talking and shitting on the Seahawks some major congratulations is, is in order and that's because our, our our usual guest for Seahawks episodes Justin Geiger from over the top EPL is an engaged man Justin Thanks for coming back on the pod and congratulations, sir. Thanks guys. Uh, yeah, big night. You know, I've never cared about a Seahawks game in the moment less than Saturday, but you know, here we are, but are you I have telling to me say, this is why we lost because you weren't watching. God well, I was damn watching. It. <laughs> I watched every single play. You don't worry, but I was thinking yeah, about the words I was going to say and the whole thing. And you had other things on your mind. I get it. And other things on my mind, but Sunday night, I was starting to get pissed off again. Yeah. <laughs> and then I watched the game again and watched some of the All-22. And I have a lot of thoughts, boys. I have a lot of thoughts. We certainly have a lot to talk about. Um, yeah. But I just wanted to get that off off, off the plate right off the bat because I'm probably going to be too drunk in an hour to remember to bring that back up. So, Justin, again, congratulations. And, again, thank you for being, being here tonight. Appreciate it. Congrats, bro. <laughs> all right should we share what we're sipping on before before we get into it yeah what are you working on connor um well my my father-in-law grant uh i know he's probably listening so thank you grant shout out to you got me a bottle of jameson black barrel irish whiskey for my birthday this past week Ooh. so um my wife was kind enough to pick that up for for grant as he lives on the east coast and gift that to me so i'm i'm sipping on some of that tonight and it's it's mighty tasty it's doing the trick right now we're doing it neat tonight we're not no ice or anything i i need the stiff i need the stiffness of this whiskey in me right now sam i'm i'm feeling a little softer over here now i'm i'm working on some of that bowman brothers that i won in our in our bet thank you dylan morris it's pretty good. Thank you, thank you, Connor. Oh yeah, I really like it. It's okay. it's uh, it's pretty sweet. It's really nice, yeah. uh, especially after dinner. It's kind of nice little sweet little treat. Sipper. Nice. Yeah, but I've I've got a big ice cube in there, so I'm don't That's quite okay. That's have this not... have the same amount of hair on my chest as you do tonight. But <laughs> I'll work on it. That's typically how I roll. So um, I'm I'm more of an ice man myself, but not tonight yeah that's some good stuff you just gotta enjoy it too not tonight for sure all right justin you know 
I think a lot of people out there think that I give you a hard time about your beverages of choice, but I'm not alone. Our frequent listener and contributor, Enoch Bagshaw, left us another voice message. We'll play it for you. And uh, he didn't he didn't hold back any words referring to you as the water boy. What do you have to say to old old Enoch Bagshaw? Oh, hey there, boys. Just wanted to let you know, follow up. My wife Lizzie was told me you know, I was a little harsh on you boys last time. <clears throat> last time, I apologize for that. We just finished up a shit Seattle football game. You know, they just can't play in the last fourth quarter. You guys said that, and now we got no football. Anyway, um, I appreciate all your podcasts and the information. Except what's what's wrong with that new boy you put on there? What, what, what do you call him, Water Boy? Is that what his name is, Water Boy? Anyway, God did a good job again, my... I just apologize for having gotten upset. Go go Huskies, and, and you guys keep me up to date on what's going on there. I really appreciate it. Thanks. See you guys, or talk to you. Well, Sam, here's the deal. I like to think myself as a healthy person, and, you know, the holidays, you have all sorts of junk go into your system. So what healthier beverage, Sam, than some water? Nice, tall glass of water. Nature's beverage, Sam. Uh, no, nature's beverage would be some Coors Light. Tastes like the Rockies. Oh, right. The okay, mountains is blue. Well, I don't, today... I don't touch it if the mountains ain't blue. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that we've done that before. That's not a good recipe. Yeah, but unless tonight... you're playing beard arts, unless you're playing beard arts, you want it a little bit warm. Man, I haven't played that game in years. Um, but tonight we're being less healthy because of the depression that we ensued on Saturday. So And the cheerfulness of being engaged. Yeah, sure. But then the depression of the Seahawks. So what we have is a lesion bifrost, a winter ale. As we get into these dark days, oh, we have to yeah. have a darker beer. So there you go. I just Actually, had that one that dark, but... Yeah, this last week. Did you I happen to get it. that at Costco? I did not. I went to Fred Meyer and they have like single bottles you can put in a six pack. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's yeah. one of the ones that I chose. Nice. Are they 12 ounce bottles or 22s? 12. Yeah. Oh. Cool. I I got my Elysian Bifrost from um, Costco. They had like a variety pack. It was on sale. It's a good deal. So anyway. Nice. Just curious. All right. You guys ready? <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Ready. Okay. So I think the only place that we can start is obviously with the game on Saturday. Seahawks lose 30 to 20. And I obviously want to get you guys' general thoughts on the game. But um, I'll go ahead and just say now that we basically got our asses kicked in every facet of the game. Um, offense couldn't do shit. Brandon Staley, that's the defensive coordinator for, for the Rams, uh, ate Brian Schottenheimer's play calling for lunch, dinner, and then heated it up the next day and had some leftovers because we couldn't we couldn't move the ball at all on offense. Defensively against a quarterback with one one thumb, or one, sorry, uh, with no thumb, 
on his throwing <laughs> hand, I should say. Uh, and they're running the ball, and we couldn't stop a one-dimensional offense um, at least enough times. They they put up they put up thirty points off of least obviously one of those is a, a one touchdown to pick six, but at the same time it's still it's still not good enough. I think we all had our predictions that they'd be scoring 10, maybe, maybe 15 points in the game. And that, that did not come to fruition at all. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be, a, that'd be a big whoops by all of us, but that's noopsies. Yeah. Let's, let's start with you, Sam. What were kind of your, your general takeaways from the game? Um, and who do you blame mostly for, especially it's been a tale of, of two halves of this year where the offense obviously had a, we've talked about it before, had, had an amazing start to this year. And then about halfway through the year, they kind of went cold and Russell hasn't been playing up to his potential. And you've seen the offense sputter and you've seen them put together some drives, but really become not only more conservative, but just way less dynamic and way less, way less explosive that we're used to seeing, seeing from this offense. Who do you blame for the struggles, especially as that continued on, on Saturday, Saturday afternoon against the Rams? Yeah. I mean, it's a tough question because I honestly think that there's a lot of blame to go around Mm -hmm. and I think it starts at the top. I mean, Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer really, I think have the most to blame, but Russell Wilson also played like ass and he has not played well and you know obviously it really matters that the coaches put their players in a position for them to be successful but when you have a player the caliber of Russell Wilson he should be able to overcome that from time to time and we just haven't seen that happen in the recent games he's not been accurate with his throws you've seen some misses on deep balls some off-balance throws that he are very difficult throws to make, albeit, but ones that we've come to expect Russell to make, those are falling short or, you know, sailing out of bounds on him. The biggest thing is the sacks that he's taking. I know Justin mentioned he watched some all 22 film off mic and it looks like our receivers were just plastered. So maybe some of those five sacks or coverage sacks where, you know, nobody's open, he can't get rid of it, but it sure feels like, Russell holds on to the ball for a damn long time. I would love to see him check it down a bit more. I mean, Connor, you've been harping on it. Try to develop some sort of short to intermediate passing game, run some different levels concepts in the passing game. You know, running the ball, I don't think that we're super ineffective. I think the, I mean, we ran Chris Carson 16 carries, 77 yards, 4.8 yards per carry is not awful. I think the problem is the stats really don't tell the story there. I saw a tweet. I don't have it in front of me, so I won't quote the exact numbers, but the story was basically painted that when we ran the ball on first down, it was just atrocious. And so I think while we were effective running the ball, I think he picked up a lot of those yards and, you know, second and long scenarios and you're still left third and five. What was our, what was our third down conversion rate? Third down efficiency, two for fourteen. Yeah, we're and we we're zero for eight, like well into the third quarter, I think too. Yeah. So I think there's yeah. a lot to a lot of blame that goes around. I think 
it's hard with the coaching staff to figure out who to blame more. Do you blame Pete Carroll more or Schottenheimer, mm-hmm. who's ultimately responsible for the offense? Because the offense was clicking early in the season. Something happened. Did Pete get involved? We've heard rumors about that. I don't really know what to make of it outside of just being disappointed in a complete collapse of what looked like a potentially historical offense. So I don't really know where to totally pinpoint my blame. I think the defense in large part played good enough to win the game. I know we spotted them 30 points and Jared Goff, you know, had a broken thumb or whatever, but I mean, the offense has got to produce more. That's just ridiculous to me. So I don't really know. I've, I'm obviously kind of just flabbergasted. I don't really know who to point the finger at, but I guess when you don't know who to blame, start at the top. And I'd even throw John Schneider in that category if we're talking about just how the season ended in general. So I don't know, Justin, what do you think? Who would you blame besides me, you know, telling him to run the ball more? Yeah. I mean, I'm probably to blame. Purely your fault. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it, yeah, I think you had a really good point there. I mean, when you, there's probably a multitude of people. I mean, let's just start. Russell Wilson did not have his best game to say it nicely. Um, he, he's overthrowing receivers. He's holding the ball too long. I mean, Aaron Donald didn't help. He's a, he's a beast, but, and then he's missing wide open receivers in the middle missing. I mean, like not even trusting his instincts. You can see him clutch like on film and see he sees, and then he doesn't pull the trigger. And then once you a split second, then the guy's covered again. And so, yeah, uh, all those things, he didn't play well, but I'm going to put the majority of the blame on Pete Carroll, Sam. I think that I'm going to, I think it's very believable uh, how we started the season we were coming out passing a bunch. Obviously, we had a much more explosive offense, uh, mixing it up a lot more on run, uh, passing first downs and et cetera. Uh, Russell had some turnovers in the three-game stretch in the middle of the year against the Cardinals, the Rams, and the Bills. Uh, I think I mixed up the order, but essentially those three games. And then I think we adjusted the offense to be more conservative, which really frankly hurt our team. And it's funny when you look at timing of these things, because Pete Carroll got an extension after our fine run of offense. And this is why he got the extension because of this newfound way we were playing football, a newfound in a Seahawks way. And then it turned into this garbage eke out quote unquote classic Seahawks wins, which in today's NFL is just not sustainable anymore. And so We'll get into the shoddy stuff, I'm sure, soon. But this this isn't a sustainable way to run a football team in 2020, and it's not a way to win. And if we keep going down the same Pete Carroll philosophy, we can get used to first-round exits, Connor. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't don't argue with that. Our inability to adjust a game plan within a game – is mind-boggling to me. Yes. Especially when it's the same goddamn game plan for eight weeks in a row. Pete said it in his press conference. I don't want to go against two high safeties like like this much as, as much as we've been seeing it in the second half of this year. If you don't want to go against two high safeties, then do something else. Show a different look. 
run some intermediate routes, run some short routes, run the goddamn ball in a certain directions to adjust the, the defense. The, the Rams were predicting basically every route concept that we were running and blame is on all three levels. Like you guys said, it starts at top at the top with Pete, because this is, this is, this is a trend that we've seen from Pete Carroll's offenses is their inability to adjust within the game. Typically they figure it out over the course of a few games. We've never seen a run like this in Russell Wilson's career or, or an offense struggle this much for this extended period of a time in a season. Schottenheimer needs needed to, I should say needed to, not needs to, because it's past tense now, but we'll get to that. I guess that's technically news. <laughs> yes. Yes. So needs to, or God, I did it again, needed to adjust the game plan and be able to adapt to what defensive looks, defensive defenses were giving him in terms, terms of looks. He's in the fucking press box for a reason like that's why he's in the press box so we can see what defenses are doing so his an inability his 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 ability to only play checkers when brandon staley and everyone else on the goddamn rams is playing chess and looking five moves ahead and he's just like oh i guess i'll do this we'll just run three people deep again uh, we'll see what happens you know russell drop back and try to throw it deep dk's down there hey connor yes did you see what Tyler Lockett said after the game? He was so back and forth, dude. Like it didn't even make sense. It was like he's like he's like uh, I feel like we weren't adjusting well, but like we did a good job in practice of like game planning, but we just weren't adjusting well. Yeah, I feel like he realized he was kind of shitting on Shoddy, so he went back. He's like, yeah, I think we yeah. did adjust well, but when we saw coverages, we didn't see. We you know had a tough time. Like, yeah. Oof, that just yeah. like hits the hammer, hits the nail on the head with For your sure. point there. Yeah, and we're gonna get plenty more shoddy talk here very soon here. But um, <laughs> anyway, failure by him on on Sunday and throughout the second half of the se- season as well. Even if Pete did meddle too much within the offense, he's got to work with that and be able to adjust his game plan accordingly. And it shouldn't take eight weeks, nine weeks, and could have taken longer because they didn't. They didn't fix it. Um, and that was, that was what led to the loss. And then Russell Wilson's just got to play better. Like overall, he's got to see the field a lot better. He's got to be way more decisive. He's got to trust his offensive line. He's got to trust his receivers. Something broke that trust. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he wasn't trusting the play. I don't know if he was not trusting his protection. I don't know if he wasn't trusting what the defense was giving him and they were just confusing him the whole time, but he's got to get back in the, in the the film room and i think he honestly just needs to like take like a two or three week hiatus from football to just get away from it like he needs to reset i don't know what the hell went on with russell wilson this second half of the year i think um obviously he just didn't play well but shoddy and pete and their difference in philosophies which we'll get into also uh, did not help and did not put Russell in the best position to succeed. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And just to reiterate something I said earlier in the episode already is it's the coach's job to put their players in a place, in a situation to be successful. Like I said, you do anticipate someone like Russell Wilson to overcome some of that, but 
Russell Wilson is not a hard player to put them, put him in a place for success. Like where's some of these, when was, did Russell Wilson, when was the last time you remember Russell Wilson keeping a read option? He hands the ball off way too much. Sure. He's no longer, the defense doesn't respect that. That's something I would love to watch on the all 22 is on some of those run plays up the gut with Carson. Like how many times did that defensive end, did the linebacker and defensive end even respect Russell Wilson as a running threat? Mm -hmm. Like where did that go in our offense? You have a dynamic athlete. He's proven he can be a durable runner, takes care of himself. That aspect of the offense is gone. Why can't we get him out in the open field a little bit, loosen up the field, open it up? Like it seems like this year more than ever, and maybe it's part of just the way the season started. He was a true pocket passer to me this year. Like his legs were not that big of a threat. Like you saw it from time to time, even in this game, he broke off a long run, but like go back to the basics and play to your player's strengths. Like Russell Wilson is one of the best athletes at his position, bar none. And we see none of that. Like get the easy plays back on the playbook, get some yards, get some momentum, make something happen. And I, that's where like I place a lot of the blame on Schottenheimer and Carroll for sure. Like they just to to the both of your points, like not a no ability to adjust the game plan. Like those play action dropbacks, bomb it over the top to Metcalf. Like not gonna work. Not gonna work against two high safeties. No, that's no. Lit- literally, that's all they saw the second half of the this year, and they did nothing to combat it. How do you beat two high safeties, Justin? Well, I would say let's try some intermediate throws, Sam. Oh, get out of here. Run the damn ball. Whether that's Russell, Carson, get a get a bubble screen to Metcalf maybe, or is that too soon? Well, here's the deal. Too I mean, soon? if you if you stack the box with seven and <laughs> still play two high safeties, I mean, I don't mind passing the ball, as you know, Sam, but like what we were doing, it just seemed like it was all vert or four verts every single play. I mean, our old roommate, Harsha, abused us with that play in Madden, which we well, can that's because Madden's broken. Madden's broken, and so is Russell Wilson. And so, yeah, here's another thing, though, that uh, really bugged me in this game. And so uh, you you mentioned the All-22 and the, um, the read option and Russell keeping the ball, and I didn't really look for that, but what I was looking for when I watched it was play actions. And when Russell Wilson would roll out and play action, not only does it take a long time for these things to develop, and the Rams have some guy named Aaron Donald. Don't know if you've heard of him. He's pretty good. Um, So not only do these things take a long time, the Rams, I swear to God, did not bite on one play action. They would have given us a five-yard run. Like, here, guys, there you go. There's a five-yard run. They were so concerned on not giving up the 15, the 20, you name it, yard pass play that they were going to let us have it, and they did not bite once on the play action. So we should have realized – at least I'll give them leeway. By the end of the first half, going into halftime, that these play action passes were not working and do something to adjust, and we didn't see that. Yep. I mean, they were giving us five yards per carry. Right. Yep. What's what's five plus five, guys? Okay, here we go. All right, what is what is where are we going here? I know Sounds you both like graduated from. I know you both graduated from UW and not one. He's, said, he's I know saying you five plus it. five equals ten, so you can convert first downs on two runs, which isn't 
That's not really how it works because yeah. then we'd hold, we get a holding play and then a false start and a delay of game. And then it's first and 25, Sam. And then we break off a eight yard run play on second and 25 to be third and 17. That could happen. It's entirely possible. But the point is they're playing two high safeties. We were having some success running the ball, whether it's, I mean, we all are in agreement here, whether you attack the two high safeties by running the ball short intermediate passing, whatever. I don't care. We all agree that the game plan, the stubbornness of the game plan is ultimately what did us in, in this game. Yeah. While you're talking about the run game real quick, just so we can touch on this um, before we can move on from this game, Chris Carson, why was he bound? He, he was bouncing everything outside. Like we still had success running the ball. But we weren't seeing the usual like physical Chris Carson hit the hole hard and blow a dude up at the second level. Like that that's that wasn't the Carson that we were seeing in this game. And I, I don't know if that's a game planning thing. I don't know if that's him trying to preserve his body for the offseason as he's going like, you know, he's gonna be obviously a free agent or is a free agent now. So he's looking to sign a sign a deal and he wants to be healthy. Um I thought that was a little odd, at least from my perspective. I don't know if you guys noted, noticed the same thing or if you had anything else to comment about that. Either one of you. I don't care. No? No. You Sorry, guys didn't was, see it? I didn't pick up on that. Not no. sure. All right. Well, maybe I'm just all alone here on an island. But <laughs> I certainly saw two or three run plays where I'm used to Carson sticking his foot in the ground and, uh, and reading a cut, cut block like or cut back blocks and cutting the ball back upfield. And instead he kind of bounces it outside and goes for like two or three yards and steps out of bounds. It's just not what I'm used to seeing from Chris Carson. Before we move on to this game from this game, I think mm-hmm. what bugged me the most is there was a fourth and one Connor in this game this encapsulated encapsulates the relationship between brian schottenheimer and pete carroll and we were all watching at home we saw the offense come out like thank god you're finally going for a fourth down you need to go for this is coming off of an injury too because damian lewis went down and so they had like two three minutes to call play oh yeah they had time on the sideline to figure out what their best play call was for this situation to try and get us back into this game and so they go out there, they're huddled, they're trying to figure it out, Connor. And then what happens? Are you actually asking me? Uh, it was for a fact, but I guess I can continue with the story. No, go ahead. <laughs> uh, delay of game. Oh, no, I'm sorry. A false start in this case. False yeah. start, Kyle. Or... It, 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 was, it was either going to be a false start, or, false start or delay of game, though, because the false start came with like half a second left. Right. And so that's pretty inexcusable. That with... was BS, though. The false start? Well, Are you talking the, about the play clock not being... The play clock. We should have never been in that big of a rush. The head referee was giving the signal to the box... To reset it. To reset the clock. They didn't. We rushed to the line of scrimmage, tried to snap it off super quick, and our line was just not on the same page. Like, our center didn't snap the ball, basically. I guess. I, someone's got to be watching that, though. It's, it's pretty bad considering Pete Carroll came out after the game, though, Sam, and said the reason why 
the delay was there is because he was fighting Shotty on the play call because Pete Carroll disagreed with the play call that Schottenheimer had given him, given Russell for the fourth and one. And so for them to be doing this little bitching on the sideline and not figure it out before the offense goes out onto the field. Yeah. That's it's just inexcusable to me. Like I get like fighting the play call, but once the offense is sent back on the field, it should be already called. Like there should be no changing unless Russell Wilson has to audible at the line of scrimmage. So it, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I think there's a lot going on in that play, but your point is totally valid. Like, even if the play clock should have been set, I'm pretty sure we took the field and we're in the huddle with 20 seconds left on the play clock. And that's still an enormous amount of time to get the snap off. And, I mean, I guess, you know, Dana White, UFC – head of UFC always says, don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Don't leave it in the hands of the referees because that's part of football. Referees are going to make mistakes, but I still think that on such a critical down, like the ref's got to be on top of that. If the head ref is calling for the play clock to be reset, like, come on guys. That's my take on that. It doesn't take away from the dysfunction between Pete Carroll and Schottenheimer and getting our shit together to run a play, especially with all the time that we had, like you said, but I still think the refs have some part, some skin in the game in terms of how that fourth and one went down the way that it did. I think one of the other things just on a, a, I guess a positive and a negative note, I want to call out in the game, get some defense in here. Cause you know, I like to run the ball and play defense. My name's Pete Carroll jr. Um, Bobby Wagner had a hell of a game. 16 tackles. I know we've kind of talked about him getting older and aging, but he still had a pretty damn good year. He's all pro. And I don't know if you guys saw Softy's tweet, but first team linebacker, all pro selections in the history of football. There are two guys that made the all pro first team eight times. One that goes by Lawrence Taylor, arguably the best defensive player of all time. Joe Schmidt, I think he played in like the 40s and 50s. Nobody really knows who he is. Sorry, Enoch Bagshaw. I'm sure he's your best friend. But seven times, Mike Singletary and Ray Lewis. So we're talking about Hall of Famers here. And six times, Bobby Wagner. In my mind, he's a Hall of Famer. I just want to give him a shout out. He had a good game, good season. He's, in in my opinion, should be a Hall of Fame player. And then the other defensive shout out goes to somebody on the other side of the field. Leonard Floyd eats our lunch, dude. In this season, in our three matchups, he has sacked Russell Wilson seven times in three games. And it's felt like it. That's fucking crazy. That's some ZTF shit right there for my Husky fans. Yeah. I mean. He balled out. He is a stud player. The, the Rams in general, like, credit to them. Like, they, they played a hell of a game defensively. And Brandon Staley had a lot to do with that. Um, their playmakers all were huge for them. Aaron Donald was huge for them in the first half before he went out. Um, and like you said, Leonard Floyd was a huge part of their pass rush. Jalen Ramsey played another hell of a game, locked DK Metcalf up. Yeah. Um, their other corner played really well, too. I can't remember his name. Johnson. I think his last name is Johnson or Williams or something like that. Um but yeah, yeah, they they played a stellar game defensively too. So we can't take take credit for or yeah. take so I, away from them. Yeah, I just wanted to get a couple of defensive shout outs there before we sure. move on to the next topic because I know it's gonna get testy here. And we'll start with you, Connor. You had some choice words via text to both Justin and I about these 
difference in philosophy and who should go and who should stay between Schottenheimer and Carroll. Also pondered potentially getting rid of Russell Wilson. Like, <laughs> where do you want to take this 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 segment of this podcast? Because we can get pretty deep here and get pretty crazy. But I'll just open up just like removing ourselves from that individual game, looking at the landscape of how the season went. You know, we've obviously already been touching on this, like Pete Carroll getting involved in Schottenheimer's offense for particular reasons. There's a difference in philosophy. Those words were used in a tweet by the Seattle Seahawks today. Connor, I'll let you break the news. I'm sure most people already know by now, but difference in philosophy, huh? Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty interesting, you know, last few days for Pete Carroll and company at the, at the, the VMAC and the Seahawks facility. He obviously in his, his, um, his season roundup press conference was uh, pretty adamant that, you know, he expected kind of all of his coordinators to be back. And obviously what else is he going to say? Like, I mean, I think you're kind of asked that question yeah. and you, you have to, show some kind of you know humanity <laughs> like he can't just be like a total dick and be like yeah no i don't know we'll see if he's here um <laughs> so um but i mean obviously he had he was asked the question directly do you expect brian schottenheimer to be back he kind of evaded the question and was uh i wouldn't say he was non-committal because he said like yeah i expect him to be back but he's also was like i'm not going to address that question which i think is is honestly the right right answer to that question but less than 24 hours after that press conference we get news from from the seahawks that brian schottenheimer has been fired because like you said sam of a difference in philosophy um and that's directly basically pete and shoddy having different feelings about how to get this offense back on track and pete in his his years at in seattle has always been adamant about running the football he has a way of winning that he wants to run the football control clock play good defense basically the things that sam believes in um to win a football game and again, it's 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 a proven way to win football. In the NFL these days, I think there is definitely some question behind that. Um, there was a there was a tweet by I think Ben Baldwin, who, albeit is like a let Russ cook, like he's been like I think he was the one that one of the first ones to actually term the word like the phrase let Russ cook, and. Um, I think he said that there's only one defensive minded coach or defensive sided coach left in the playoffs. Now everyone else that is a head coach is, is an offensive minded uh, uh, coach. So I think it's just Sh Sean McDermott from, from Buffalo is, is um, I believe what he said. So anyway, though, difference in philosophies um, with that, I will say that, and, and Pete said this also in his, his press conference, like he obviously says that they need to run the ball more effective. And then he goes back on that and says, we, we not only effective, we need to run the ball more. 
and that's what scares Seahawks fans, or at least the the data analytics guys like Justin. Um, the, the one thing that he said after that, though, that I thought was really interesting, and then we'll get back to Shadi, was that we need to run the ball with more direction and focus and be able to um, determine where the defense is going to line up against us. Basically being able to move the defense with the running game is essentially... So I feel like that's a little bit different than the way that he's put it in the past, at least a little bit more in depth. Justin, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. I know that you're obviously against running the ball more. Um, but what, like, I guess before, before I, I can, I'll ask that question, but as a follow-up, what do you think of the shoddy news? Like, is this a, is this a, a good thing that shoddy is fired or is this a bad thing that shoddy is fired i texted this to you guys yesterday when the news broke i like the move but i feel like it's for all the wrong reasons okay elaborate i I don't feel like he's an elite offensive mind or offensive Mm -hmm. coordinator i think we (laughs) i think there was that sentiment back in 2018 or 17 whenever he was hired right it was like oh my god he's coming here from the jets like what what did he do there type of thing uh, obviously he did okay, but I, it, I don't think it's for his game management or even the game against the Rams. It's because of the different philosophy he has from Pete Carroll and shoddy feels like he has this shiny toy named Russell Wilson that he can do all these different things with, but because sometimes when you pass and take risks and when your defense is terrible, uh, you throw interceptions that goes against Pete's philosophy of, you know, never turn the ball over, which of course every team has, but especially Pete takes that so seriously. And so Pete wants to run the ball, run the ball with authority. Schottenheimer wanted to mix it up on the Seahawks. So that's why we parted ways with, or we, the Seahawks parted ways with Schottenheimer. And I don't like that's why the reason is, and I feel like we're going to bring in some guy that's even more run heavy than Schottenheimer that agrees with Pete Carroll's philosophy uh, first round exits and that's just not what I'm that what I want to see uh, I don't want to see us going into a more analytical world a more data-driven world where we're going back and using flip books to you know call plays and understand what football is it's just not it's not what convoy would do it's not what brovo spirits would do and it's not what the Seahawks should do oh Sam. my lord you're really going to bring our personal work into this you want to go, go that route with me Justin right now I, I'm using I'm using businesses, and I'm looking at you too. But you could say Amazon or whatever big business you want to. You know, we're an increasingly data-driven world, and I don't feel like going against data and what it's telling you is the right formula to winning football. Is that better? Sure. So you're telling me there's only one way to win football games? No, I don't. No, there's definitely not one way to win the football games. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying. Going into a more run-heavy offense with the personnel we have is not the recipe for success. Is that better? Yes, I would agree with that, yes. Okay, well, there you go. It's important to specify what fits your personnel. Like, the idea that Pete Carroll's mantra of running the ball, controlling the clock, not turning the ball over, and playing good defense doesn't work is bullshit. If you can do those things, it, of course it works. The problem is 
and to the point that you're calling out is in today's NFL game where the rules have changed to more or less benefit offense and higher scoring games and handcuff the defense in a lot of ways. I can understand that the easier route given the way that the game is played and officiated right now is obviously through the air. I totally get that. I don't want to discredit Pete Carroll's ideology of winning football games as old school or moot or not possible because I think his logic is sound, but I would agree with your statement that the current makeup of our roster doesn't lend itself to playing that style of football successfully. And I think we've seen that for a while and it's because we don't have an offensive line. We don't have a good offensive line. We haven't had a good offensive line for years. And without that, you can't successfully successfully, and run with success repeatedly. How many teams that. in they were, the NFL? They were, they were a better offensive line this year, dude. I don't know. I, I feel like you're underselling them a little bit. Like, I mean, they they're took... better, but do we think that they're above average offensive line? Yeah, I do. They're probably slightly above average, but I wouldn't call them like Cowboys 2016 yeah. or anything. No. No, that's what Sam was. They were for. they were good enough to uh, have an impact on the game, though. So, Sam, going to your point, I have a follow up question. Um, you know, the mantra has worked in the past, obviously, which is why Pete Carroll has been a successful coach of mm-hmm. running the football, playing good defense, you know, no turnovers, you know, complete football, if you will. Um, how many teams with their current rosters in the NFL today do you think could win that way? That's hard to say. I don't I don't have a lot of the other rosters memorized. I think I think Tampa Bay could. I think they have a good running back, good offensive line, solid defense. Obviously Cleveland. they have Tom Brady. Cleveland is doing Cleveland it. Cleveland is one that came to mind. Yeah. I think Buffalo can do it. I mean, Josh Allen's been lighting it on fire recently, but I think that team is to Connor's point quoting the person from Twitter, Ben Baldwin, whatever his name is. Sean McDermott is a defensive head coach. I think they can do it. Um, Saints. Yeah, the Saints are kind of different to me. Like they don't run the ball in such a traditional way. They use their they, they use, use their running, their running back backs extremely successfully. And I think Sean Payton is really an offensive genius in the way that he uses his running backs. So <laughs> Maybe there. I don't, the I'm team sure. that came to mind for me was the Ravens that does that probably the best, but they yeah. also have the threat from their quarterback, which yeah. is different. That's, from that's a any different other way of running, but yeah. Right. Yeah, but that's also kind of what I was saying earlier with Russell Wilson. Like, why is his Russell Wilson's threat? not LeVar Jackson? I'm not, <laughs> that's not what I said. No, I you didn't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and just the threat not, of getting, yeah. Yeah, and let's not act that it, like it's a ridiculous thing to think that Russell Wilson could be 75% of the rushing threat that Lamar Jackson is. Like he's not, Lamar Jackson is the closest thing to Michael Vick's running threat that we've seen. That And that was almost 20 years ago when Michael Vick was really doing that. So Lamar Jackson, yeah, he's in a class of his own. But Russell Wilson's easily top five ath- athletic quarterback that you have and that running threat from the quarterback position you see it be used successfully in both teams we just mentioned actually 
the the Ravens and the Saints. They bring in Taysom Hill. He's running the ball. That's like they run a full two quarterback system with a Hall of Famer in Drew Brees, one of the most prolific passers of all time. And Sean Payton is taking the ball out of his hands to basically put a running quarterback in there. So again, like I'm not here to say that Russell Wilson is Lamar Jackson. Russell Wilson is a damn good athlete. He's extremely good in open field with his picking running lanes, choosing when to go out of bounds. He takes care of himself. Like it's ridiculous for me to think that he has done so little of that, especially down the stretch when it's like our offense is struggling. And when we've seen it in the past, like Russell Wilson more often than not is able to find a way to kind of become a catalyst with some of his running plays. Like that's a component of our offense that we just ignored down the stretch, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's no doubt that they could show, show more looks. I just don't, I don't know if it's like the deciding factor between them becoming a sex, sex successful offense again. Like, I think, I think it's, a I think it's a look it. that, yeah, well, yeah, I'm mean, sure it's part of it. I, I think you, it's definitely a weapon that you should utilize more. Um, but I think there's bigger reasons why the offense struggled down the stretch than yeah. just Russell Wilson getting out in space. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm just making this, making the argument that like, running the ball in the way that I think about it. And I think with the teams that have success doing it, isn't just running Chris Carson up the gut 25 times a game. Like you can get creative with it. And again, like in the microcosm of this game and towards the end of the season, when you're seeing these two high safeties looks like figure something out, Yep, you have athletes like utilize them. And so I think to your point, like the biggest problem, I think we all agree is Pete Carroll's stubbornness and, yeah. and not willing to adapt to the personnel that he has. And to Justin's point, like, yeah, use the analytics based on the personnel that you have and run the offense. That's going to give your players the best chance to be successful. We don't do that. Well, and Yeah. I think I think Pete ended up just meddling too much in the offense. Like he didn't give the autonomy that Brian Schottenheimer probably needed to be able to install what he wanted to on offense in the second half of the year. Um, but that being said, I don't think Brian Schottenheimer was doing anything to uh, to give us reason that he would have been much more successful, even if he had some autonomy. Just by the way that um, he he was he was obviously not adapting well either to two defenses um so before before we talk about um one one the shoddy discussion a little bit before we talk about who are possibly the candidates to fill this position i do want to back up just a little bit and just like take a step back from the rams game and look at this season overall covid ridden season but they got all their games in um and first off we gotta like commend the seahawks for zero positive cases throughout their roster throughout the entire year which if everyone else every other team had at least one or if not like several COVID cases throughout the year so 
remarkable job by Pete Carroll and staff to in, install in these guys' heads uh, uh, safety protocols and guidelines and following those and um, being able to uh, successfully get through the season without COVID being an issue for them. I thought that was that's very commendable. On, a, on the football side of things, 12 and four on the year, division champs, but yet another first round playoff loss. Um, I think they have now one playoff win in the last four or five seasons. Um, and they've never gotten past the divisional round since their Super Bowl year when they lost against the Patriots in after the 2014 season. So do you guys call this a successful season given all that? Um, where are you guys' heads? I think we all agree that this team should have achieved more given the context of, of where they were at um, at the end of the year. But regardless of that, where are you guys at? Successful season, um, complete failure, um, okay season, like ho-hum, like, uh, and even more than that, are, have the Seahawks reached their limit, like with, with this, um, with this, this leadership group of John Schneider, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson. People look at the GM, the coaching, the head coach, and the quarterback usually as kind of like your three-headed monster of that's like your your ensemble. That's your team. That's what you're building around. Have they, have they reached their their height? Like it are is everything just kind of like this is what we should expect basically year in and year out is playoff team but may or may not win a playoff game um but won't won't get won't much make much noise in the playoffs sam go ahead yeah so i'll answer the first question first and just talking about like my rubric in the nfl for what's a good year what's a great year and then obviously what's a legendary year i think i think every year you go into the season and you want to win your division and make the playoffs i think is a good year like I think it's easy to become entitled as a Seahawks fan with the recent success that we've had in large, like in large part due to the people that you mentioned, Snyder, Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson. It's been the greatest era of Seahawks football ever. And I am appreciative of the fact that I've been able to live through that and enjoy a lot of those successes. So if you take a step back and look through the history of the NFL or just in this case, the Seattle Seahawks as a franchise, I would take a division championship and a playoff berth year in year out. Like to me, that's a successful year. I'm happy with that. I think if you boil that down to the microcosm of this season and what could have been, you know, it's doesn't feel super rosy, but I would say, you know, winning your division, making the playoffs, I'm happy, I'm content, I'm satisfied with that season. An NFC championship appearance is a great year, really good year. And then obviously Super Bowl appearance and a Super Bowl victory is a legendary season that will be remembered forever. And, you know, going back to this season, 
with that rubric and staying disciplined in that, I'm happy with the way that the season went. I feel like we had a good fun year of Seahawks football. We saw some really shining moments, some, you know, games that gave us heart palpitations and really had us on the edge of our seats. So I thoroughly enjoyed the season, but it's hard not to feel like this team and this roster left some meat on the bone and that we could have achieved bigger and greater things. And so that kind of leaves a salty taste in my mouth for sure. No, I'll get over it and move on to future seasons. So that's kind of where I stand in terms of my sentiment of this 2020, 2021 season with the Seahawks. And then to your question around our leadership, have we reached the peak? That's hard to say. I mean, they've won a Super Bowl. We've had a great ride with these guys. There's not a lot of dynasties in terms of leadership or, you know, leadership from a GM, head coach, and quarterback combination that win multiple Super Bowls. I mean, look at someone like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I mean, he's gone through head coaches now and he's an all-time great Hall of Famer. He's got one Super Bowl. Look at the same thing. Sean Payton, Drew Brees in New Orleans. Hall of Fame combination, great leadership in the organization. They've got one Super Bowl. So obviously you have the outliers like Belichick and Brady, you know, Roethlisberger, Pittsburgh Steelers, Tomlin, Cowher. You know, there are examples of people that can do it time and time again. I think I saw a tweet that mentioned that if Pete Carroll wins a Super Bowl with the Seahawks, it would be the longest drought for the longest period of time between two Super Bowls, won by the same coach on the same team. I think Tom Landry did it with the Cowboys six years apart or something like that. So if I'm looking at all of those signs and reading the tea leaves, so to speak, I do think that there's a chance that we've seen the best that that trio has to offer. I'm not going to put it outside the realm of possibility that we can kind of retool this team and coaching staff a bit and come up with another NFC championship, Super Bowl run. Like I think Russell Wilson is so good and, you know, obviously kind of shit the bed down the stretch, but he's got all the talent there. And anytime you've got that, like you can't win a Super Bowl without a franchise quarterback or, you know, a world beater defense. The two examples that come to mind is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they had Trent Dilfer, but they had Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, uh, what's his name? Tiki Barber's twin brother, Rondé. And what's the other one? There's another one out there too. What's Wasn't it? that, was that, was that um, Trent Dilfer? I thought Trent Dilfer was the Ravens. Similar thing, but. Who was, was the like... quarterback at for, for the Bucks? Oh, it was, yeah, you're right. Dilfer was with the Ravens, with Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, and then it was John, Brad Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Brad Johnson, Johnson yeah. with the I want to say Jeff Garcia for some reason, but that was Yeah, that, that, I mean, he had a couple right. good years down there too, but, you know, I think you have to have your franchise quarterback. I think Russell's got a ton of gas left in his tank, so I'm not going to put it outside the realm of possibility that they can muster up some more magic, you know, next year or the years to come, but 
realistically, I don't think the odds are in their favor. And I do think that we'll need to see some sort of change in one of those three, whether it's the GM, the head coach or the quarterback. And, you know, that obviously ends up being a very interesting conversation. But before we go down that road, I'd be curious to get Justin's thought on the same question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I largely agree. I think it's going to be tough. I, I, I envision it being hard to win a Super Bowl again with Pete Carroll's philosophy uh, with this roster, with this current roster shakeup. I think we'd have to shake up the roster quite a bit. I think Bobby Wagner has been obviously, a, you know, he's going to walk into the Hall of Fame. He's been exceptional, but he's starting to get older. He's not as fast as he once was. I think, I think he'll still be really good next year, but after that, it's going to start to decline a little bit. And so we have to think about our defensive roster. It's not super great. Um, what talent do we have? It seems like a more offensive leaning team, but that doesn't go with Pete Carroll's philosophy. So will he adapt? I have doubts. So if we want to make meaningful progress with this team into Super Bowl-esque type of expectations, I think Pete Carroll will have to lead this team. But that being said, what do I feel as a success? I absolutely agree with Sam. The division title and playoffs and or really playoffs every year is a successful season just in zooming out and looking at seasons by season saying, hey, did the Seahawks, were the Seahawks good or not? Uh, but if you start six and two or go 12 and four, I feel like, you know, you have to adjust expectations and finance. You call that forecasting and you forecast, you know, your team, if you go 12 and four, it's like, man, you know, I really hope in the holidays, if we continue this pace, we're going to have a really good holiday sale instead of, you know, nobody showing up for black Friday type of thing. And that's kind of what happened in this wild card round. And so by going 12 and four, you minimum expect, Hey, you have a competitive divisional round playoff game to fight into at least the conference, uh, an appearance in the, what is it? The NFC championship game. And to go out in the wild card game at home is just really disappointing based off the season you have. So looking again, zooming out macro view successful after the season we have, I don't know how you say it's anything but a disappointment, Connor. Yeah. Yeah. I largely agree. Um, I hesitate to ask this because I think you guys are going to bust my balls, but if you were to ask any player in the NFL, what is their ultimate goal? What would they say? Get that bread, boy. Besides money. <laughs> well, you probably win a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Get be? the ring. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So isn't that kind of like, I don't know what it's all about. And Give me this, guys. You probably have three, four, possibly even five Hall of Famers on this roster right now. List them out. I want to know. Russell Wilson. Okay. Check. Bobby Wagner. Check. Possibly Dwayne Brown. Possibly. And the maybes. Sure. Okay. Maybe. Possibly. He like he's it. probably fringe. Yep. Sure. Two guys are based off of projection. Don't oh, come on, man. <laughs> they, they're, they're, they're already at all pro level, dude. Like, 
Continue, continue, Connor. They're already at all-pro level. This is a legit argument, okay? Let the man speak, Connor. Continue. Jamal Adams and DK Metcalf. Oh, I won't say, yeah. Yeah, If all those guys end up wearing gold jackets that, like, one day, aren't you going to look back at this year as a, like, a lost year? Like, a year that could have been so special? Yes. If that happens, yes. Even if it didn't happen, I still think so. Agreed. I mean, Pete Carroll wants to use DK Metcalf as the ultimate run blocker, but that's neither here. <laughs> He's pretty good at it. He's better he's at catching the he's ball phys- and getting touchdowns, he's but he's physical. He's got the body for it. I get it. That's just my point. That's I, that's all. I I understand. Like we're um, we've been super blessed with the success this this run of success that the Seahawks have had over the past you know decade basically under Pete Carroll and um they have a very high floor with this ensemble and you can basically expect them to make the playoffs year in and year out and that means that you're going to get an entertaining season and you get to the tournament and you never know what happens that being said I think there's definitely some fatal flaws in um in pete's coaching style at the same time and that being said he's not going anywhere yeah like realistically pete carroll is going to dig his own grave um at when it comes to seahawks lordom like he's he's going to go out on his own terms because of the power that he holds within the organization right and the fact that Jody Allen's not going to fire Pete Carroll. <laughs> She's not. Okay. Um, you would have to get an ownership change for that to even be a remote possibility. Or just, you know, multiple losing seasons. Yeah, we'll eventually sure. do it's it for, and sure. force her hand. But yeah, sure. To your point, that's already, he's already dug his grave at that point. So you're right. You're right. Valid. And I think he, I think he would probably leave on his own volition at that point too. Um, John Schneider likely not going anywhere and no. obviously uh, with what just happened as well and we'll talk about that news just sign an extension um not going anywhere russell wilson in all likelihood not going anywhere so for the ne- next four or five years this is this is what you got this is what you're you should expect to have and the only meaningful change that they could make to address the issue of the offense was to fire the offensive coordinator So in response to my question, like 20 minutes ago, this is a good move. Okay. This is a good move with the caveat that I don't know who they're going to hire. Like it could end up being a not so great move, but they definitely, I think had reached their peak with Brian Schottenheimer as offensive coordinator. Um, and, and they needed to change, um, before, before, uh, again, before we start talking about possibly who some of those, those candidates could be and who you guys maybe want um, the candidates to be. Sam, you mentioned this kind of, or at least alluded to it. It's much harder to get back to the top than it is initially to get to the top. So what Mm -hmm. Pete Carroll, John Schneider and Russell Wilson are trying to accomplish right now is about as fucking hard as it gets in, in professional sports, especially yeah. a salary cap driven league where it's all about parity. Um, 
So and you've got 35 to 40 million tied up in Russell. Right. If, if you have a franchise quarterback, it makes it even harder basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least to build the, the right roster, the Super Bowl caliber roster around that quarterback. So um, no doubt it's an uphill battle. And I'm not saying the expectation should be to try to try to like, should be to get to the Super Bowl, but if Russell Wilson doesn't get to another NFC championship as in his career, I feel like that's definitely a disappointment. And that's definitely um, not up to the expectation that I would have for, for this franchise. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think, you know, I, it's definitely possible. And again, like looking at the things that I feel like would need to change in order to do that. I think of those three, like obviously making the offensive coordinator higher, if we get a better fit and someone that can, you know, maybe win over some more of Pete Carroll's trust or whatever it might take. Like there's a chance we could get some success with whoever the new OC might be. I don't think that's what really needs to happen. I think the reason why, like, obviously there's philosophical differences. We've, we've kind of beat that like a dead horse at this point. I think the other component that we need to get better at in order to see success and see us back in Super Bowl contention with those three people in leadership positions we need to draft better to my point. Like you have, they have the last two years though. They have, but we went through a really bad. Correct. That's that's Schneider dude. Six, seven, you know, six years of crappy drafting or whatever it was. And that's all on Schneider. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is if, if we are going to get better, like I think we all agree, Pete Carroll is going to be stubborn and play his style of football. And that's to Justin's point, as much as I give him grief about the analytics and everything else going on in, in that world, like he's right. That's the recipe for success in the league. Pete Carroll's going to be fighting an uphill battle, trying to win football games his way. The only way we're going to do that is retooling the roster to fit that brand of football. And with so much salary cap eaten up by your quarterback, the best way to retool your roster, even regardless of salary cap is through the draft. And we need to start drafting defensive players. We need to start drafting better offensive linemen. I love that Damian Lewis had a hell of a year at right guard for us as a rookie. Mm -hmm. We need to get like two more of him on that offensive line. And so like, I do think that there's a glimmer of hope if we can knock the draft out a couple of years in a row and help, build the roster that Pete Carroll needs to really operate his style of football. Well, I could see it happen. I just don't feel comfortable with our ability to draft. I know we've kind of hit some gems the last couple of years, whether it's Damian Lewis, DK Metcalf, you know, I don't know who else you would throw in that ring with those two, but maybe like Gordon Brooks showed some flashes, but he's not in that capacity yet. I mean, Chris Carson was a good find in the seventh round, but we need to draft better. And so I guess what I, the point I'm trying to make is if we are going to have success with those three, I think it relies really heavily on 
Schneider's shoulders to put together a roster that fits your stubborn coach and your stubborn philosophy. And if that doesn't happen, then I totally think you're right on Connor. Like we should expect to be a borderline playoff team, make the playoffs more often than not, maybe win one game and bow out and not really compete. So how are they going to accomplish that when they traded two first round picks for Jamal Adams? They're not. (laughs) Yep. I don't think they will. I'm just saying there's a chance. Like that's the only. They're going to have to find some diamonds in the rough. They are. They're going to have to. And they've done it before. Yep. Albeit the diamonds (laughs) in the rough that they found were on Pete Carroll's. They struck, of the they struck game. gold mines in like 2010 to 2012. Correct. Yeah. And then it was pretty much shit outside of a few players. You know, your Tyler Lockett's. Um, who else was even a guy like in that time frame that ended up being a decent player? Well, Justin fact- Britt. Justin Britt was Justin okay. Britt, yeah. I mean, that's... It's not a terrible pick. Um, yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of a lot of hot hot garbage in there though. I mean it. Yeah. The draft is sometimes a crapshoot though too. Like I obviously like we struck gold mine from 2010 to 2012. Like they're gonna have to get lucky. Yeah. So. So I mean that's kind of my outlook for the future of the franchise with pete carroll john schneider and russell that's how, that's how the league that's how the league is designed too like i mean that's it's not just a seahawks thing that's how the league is designed if you draft well you're going to have a good organization yeah like the saints yep, yep. saints have drafted really well ravens have drafted really well yeah chiefs have drafted really well who's still in the playoffs so yeah those teams <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the packers haven't drafted that well but they're like probably the most flawed team in the playoffs. So anyway, they're basically the same team as we are pretty much. Yeah. They are with a better offense, at least and better a, and a worse better, defense. Yeah. Better offensive cohesive, cohesiveness between right. the quarterback, yeah. their OC, their head coach. They're all on the same page. Yeah. That's all for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I don't know. I'm assuming you guys agree with that take, like unless yes, yeah. no, I, mean, totally I don't have hard. much to add. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I that's I mean again, that's that's how the league's designed. So um, if you don't draft well, it's going to be tough to succeed because you got to start paying players, and it's hard to fit those pieces in if you start pay, paying players. So um, who do you guys want the OC to be? Yeah, so I mean, they could obviously go a few ways here. Like uh, you could obviously go with one of these kind of hot shot young quarterback coaches or running back coaches um, in some of these uh, more run heavy offense. Let me back up. They're going to go with a, 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 an offensive coordinator that has a history or familiarity with either running the ball or they are going to be basically a yes man to Pete Carroll and what he wants to do. Like that's essentially, that's, that's what you're looking at as far as like the, the two types of types of people that you're looking at for offensive coordinators. So in that they could go with um, someone again, that, that is kind of like one of these new hotshot coaches. That's kind of like a riser. They could go with an established um, 
football mind that maybe Pete has a past history with that has been in the NFL for a long time. They could hire from within or they could go the college route. So Justin, I want to hear your thoughts and I want to hear of those categories, which one would you pick? And if you had a a few names within that category, maybe um, if you don't, that's fine too. But like, just what do you want to see from this, this hire? This is an opportunity. It is an opportunity of what I want is not what they're going to get. Um, so okay. what, what do you want? And then what do you think will happen? I want somebody that is, has an innovative offense that has, has a track record and experience of adapting their play style uh, to opponents and changing things, scheming mm-hmm. well, adaptability, interesting run pass concepts. I mean, I mentioned passing all the time, but you know, Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers is considered one of the best offensive minds in football. And he has a lot of run concepts. I mean, they still use a fullback even in Kyle. I mean, they have the best one in the game, but Kyle Yushek, they run, uh, what is it called? Jet sweeps and et cetera. So they just don't have a run Chris Carson down the middle type of thing. They do run the ball, but there's different ways to do it. So I want a mind like that. Obviously that's a few and far between, right? So, so we should hire Kyle Shanahan. Sure. Easy done. Duh. Uh, <laughs> cool. Pay him 15 million. Um, you're probably going to be about 30 to take him from the Niners. What I want is a, is probably not going to even jive with what Pete Carroll is going to do. Like you said, I mean, it's going to be a run first guy. It's going to be either a yes man or that. So I guess, do you want me to say names of who I think it is because it's not even going to be in the realm of who I want? Sure. Um, okay. So there's been a lot of rumors of the Chargers offensive coordinator. His name was Shane, Shane Steichen. I might, Shane be Steichen. Yep. I might be pronouncing that, but mispronouncing nope, that's that. correct. Um, he had worked with Justin Herbert, had some success with him. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know how uh, successful that will be. I don't, I can't say I know a lot about him, but that's mm-hmm. like the, the rumor that I've heard. Um, we could reach into the college ranks uh, and look at them because, you know, it's easier to hire a college offensive coordinator to go pro than, you know, lure a successful offensive coordinator. Or a recently the- fired head coach in college and lure them to the NFL sure. as an offensive coordinator. Correct. Yeah. Um, it's easier to do that rather than a successful NFL offensive coordinator and trying right. to say, Hey, come make a lateral move. Yeah. That's, it's, that's pretty tough to do. Yeah. Uh, which is what chance. I want, but that's not going to happen. So almost zero chance. Right. So we could go for like the Clemson offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is escaping me. I think Tony Elliott, um, Worked with Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, I believe. So he's he's on the radar. Um, started in Clemson staff in 2011. So I think that that's an option. Somebody coming from the college ranks, maybe you could help Pete Carroll with and John Schneider with um, with the draft and come up with different concepts. We've seen some. Do we get Trevor Lawrence if he comes? <laughs> uh that's an interesting question isn't it do what hold russell wilson's balls (laughs) yeah Uh, like like i mean aaron Rodgers became a great quarterback by sitting for a year or two behind brett Favre. four years (laughs) (laughs) exactly see um i think that would be an interesting name that you know 
people might not be thinking about. And then there's like the ex coaches. So there's like, you know, the former Chargers offensive coordinator, there's a college guy, I throwing out Tony Elliott, I'm sure there are more. And then there's an ex coach, I think two that come to mind are Anthony Lynn from the Chargers. He's a very run first kind of guy didn't have a lot of success in the Chargers don't want that to be the name. But I know some are going to throw that out because of his philosophy. And then there's the wild card uh, grew up in Washington, Doug Peterson, uh, the fired Eagles coach and there's a lot of talk out there that he could get the Jets job uh, or another off, or the Falcons job or a different head coaching job just based off how he left the Eagles. But say he doesn't get a head coach job, head coaching job. Would he come and be an offensive coordinator or would he just take the year off? I think those two last two are more wild cards, but you know, likely someone like a, a Steichen or a Tony Elliott or some other college mind. But I what will do you be, guys think? I will be shocked if a former head coach takes this offensive coordinator position, just because with everything coming out with Pete Carroll meddling with Schottenheimer's offense, like you're not going to get a former head ball coach to take marching orders from Pete Carroll. They're not going to sign up for that. And those types of things, you know, spread like wildfire in within coaching circles. Like nobody is going to advise someone to go work with Pete Carroll if they're inevitably just going to, butt heads. I think who we're going to end up with is someone that is going to be young, someone that is going to be willing to take on some of the micromanaging from Pete Carroll, just to get the experience as being potentially a first time offensive coordinator. So I know we mentioned the Shanahan tree. I'm not sure if we mentioned exact names, but the 49ers coordinators, their passing game coordinator, their running game coordinators uh, have their names here. So Mike LaFleur, he's the brother to, was it oh. Matt, Matt LaFleur, mm-hmm. who's the yep. head coach in Green Bay? He's the pass game coordinator for the 49ers. Mike McDaniels, the running game coordinator for the 49ers. So I think those are two names that come to mind that I would, I think, are realistic shots where both of them I think would jump at the opportunity to be, you know, that get that promotion in terms of becoming an offensive coordinator. And I think it makes a lot of sense in terms of stylistically, you know, running the, running the ball, that Shanahan type of offense that you were talking about earlier. The one thing with those two names that I would keep an eye out though, is what the, what I can't ever pronounce his name, Robert Sala, Sally. Sala. Yeah, Salah, he's going to get a head coaching gig. He's for sure going to get hired. And so are those guys going to follow him as opposed to jumping ship? The rumor, yeah. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Those are the two names that, in my mind, I'm watching the closest and think would be a home run hire. But odds are it's going to be someone that's a little bit more willing to take some of that micromanagement style from Pete Carroll or the opportunity of being an offensive coordinator. And I just don't see someone like a Doug Peterson or a Lynn or a more even established offensive coordinator somewhere else coming in and just taking marching, marching orders. I think the way that things went down between Schottenheimer and Carroll is going to make Pete Carroll's job hiring an offensive coordinator extremely difficult because most people are not going to want to work for someone that doesn't let them do their job. 
Yeah, you said it really well there, Sam. And obviously Pete has has claimed that he wants to get back to a more run-centric approach. And to that, that, like, if we're looking at innovative running, like you said, Justin, and both both of you both said, I guess, Shanahan Tree screams that. And that's obviously where I want to go with this hire. Um, I think of of the two... I don't know if I have a strong, I don't know if I have a strong um, preference between the two in, in San Francisco, but Mike McDaniels is a guy that intrigues me a lot just because he's been with Kyle Shanahan for so long. And um, he was with him way back in um, Atlanta. Um, he might've even been with him in Washington a little bit too. I can't remember. Um but uh, and is obviously their running game coordinator too. Uh, that's that's kind of the the key thing that I'm looking at. And with how innovative and I don't know why, but that that quote by Pete direction and focus from their running game like sticks in my mind. And it I just I I imagine the 49ers offense with Debo Samuel on his end around jet sweeps and the fact that they're able to. I mean, they, their running game is elite with like just guys, right? Like they don't even have, I wouldn't even say that they have like a pro bowl running back or an all-star quote unquote running back on their team. Jeff Wilson has had success there. Um, Jarek McKinnon, like who's, I mean, a decent player, but like not an elite back by any means has had a lot of success there. Um, what's Raheem Mostert has had a lot of success there. A dude that was undrafted. Like, I mean, Matt Breida got yeah, a these, nice contract from the these Dolphins are, in these the offseason. These are just guys. And what has Matt Breida done since then? Nothing. Like, Nothing. He's, he's gotten replaced by two dogs. That's what he's, that's what he's done. No dogs. Um, so an offensive mind like that to unleash a running attack, um, and obviously being able to, to um, have Russell Wilson as a, as a tool to play off of that and his ability to, to throw the deep ball, I think would just fit so well into that kind of scheme. Um, so that really intrigues me. The only other thing that I want to keep in mind too is that Pete Carroll is obviously not getting any younger. And this offense, like we're at the time where this offensive coordinator might be the replacement for Pete one day. And I kind of want to have an eye for the future at that point too. So the other guy that I'll throw in here is Pep Hamilton. You've mentioned the chargers guys and the Anthony Lynn staff basically all being fired. Mm -hmm. And um, the two, the, the three guys are, are that are, that have been rumored for, to be tied to the Seahawks OC job, or at least like people think that they could be Anthony Lynn. I don't see it. Like he's, He's a morale head coach. He's not a, he's never been a play caller. Like there's no way that they hire Anthony Lynn unless Pete Carroll's just wants a buddy or something like that, or thinks that Anthony Lynn, who's also kind of an alpha dog is going to listen to everything that he says. So I don't see that happening. Shane Steichen is probably the most realistic, I would say, um, to, to be hired. Like I could, I could see that happening. I wouldn't be thrilled about it, but I also um, wouldn't be completely underwhelmed by it either. 
But if I, if Pep Hamilton was the guy from from out of those three that ends up being hired, I I would say that's that's a good hire. Um, and obviously w- without seeing a game yet, so we'll see what that would maybe turn into. But obviously someone that had some head coaching experience in the XFL this last year. Um, I think it was the head coach of the DC guardians or whatever the hell they were. I don't remember what they were, but DC something, (laughs) it was the DC team, um, has had success with someone like Andrew Luck in the past. Yeah. The Colts, um, obviously just worked with Justin Herbert and, uh, a lot of the, who's likely to be the, the rookie of the year and attribute a lot of, a lot of his success to Pep Hamilton as, as their quarterbacks coach. So I think, and he just has the right attitude about him to end up becoming and developing into a head coach one day. Um, and that's just, that's, that's someone that I, I think I could, I think I could get on board with. Um, and the only reason that I bring him up, like I would prefer one of the Shanahan guys, but I think, like you said, Sam, Salah is likely to take one of those guys with him. And from what I've heard, Shanahan's not going to let both of them go. Like he's going to hold on to one of them. So um, whoever goes yeah. with Salah, the other one's likely to stay with Shanahan in San Francisco. Um, Unless we pay him the big bucks. Yep. Right. We'll see. I mean, I, and that's obviously part of this too. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I, I agree with you with yeah. that too. Like if I could, if I could choose, I would probably, if I could choose anyone, I would, I really like Mike McDaniel, but yeah, he's a Shanahan guy through and through. I'm looking at his coaching resume. Cause you had kind of pondered how long he's been with the Shanahan tree. Mm-hmm. He is a Mike Shanahan tree. See, his so, first, like he, mm, he's, and he's, pretty, he's still pretty young, dude, isn't he? 37. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 37. That's crazy. And, he got his coaching start in 2005 with the Denver Broncos as an intern under wow. Mike Shanahan. So he's buddy, buddy with the Shanahan family. I don't know that he would spurn the Shanahan's and go to a division rival, but I don't know. Money talks at the end of the day. And Justin, he's never going to sh- call plays in San Francisco. Does he want to call plays? Yeah, maybe, yeah, true. but he'll probably have an opportunity to do that outside of the division would be my guess. Some of that. I think that, does carry a little bit of weight when you're so you're gonna have really Russell Wilson? <laughs> no, probably These are factors. Not. These are factors. That's all I'm saying. That's true. And the other thing going for him, Justin, I know you'll like this, is he graduated from Yale. He's probably a big-time analytics guy just like you. Oh, I don't know. East Coast prestigious. Maybe they're into running the ball. <laughs> they're a little Ivy League over there. Old school traditional. They're yeah. lacrosse players up there. So. That's right. <laughs> Oh, Justin, if you had to choose one from the group, so I, Connor, it sounds like you are you on on the those are the three. train. Those are the three that I would be excited about. Either of the yeah. two Shanahan guys, um, whether it be Mike Lafleur or Mike McDaniel, or Mike, and Mike. Um, or Pep Hamilton, I would I would be excited about any of those guys. The other guy yeah. I want to throw out there, just because I can, just buy out Sark. Yeah, that's not gonna work. <laughs> I don't think we could. I'm pretty sure Sark gets paid more than Pete Carroll, probably. Maybe uh, not yet. Probably, Maybe not yet. Probably not. But it's, I mean, it makes what six a year. I didn't or see his yeah. actual contract, but yeah, 
those schools, if he does, if he gets I mean, some success down like there, somewhere between twelve and fifteen mil, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but he's I gonna paid a shit ton. Yes. <laughs> If I had to choose from realistic options, I, I yeah, I mean, I threw out Doug Peterson and Anthony Land. I don't think either would be really good fits for different reasons. I think Pep Hamilton could be interesting. I don't know much about the. I know more about Pep Hamilton than I do Shane Steichen. Um, yeah. So I, I think I would just prefer that just as a known commodity. But again, I don't know much about Steichen. I think the 49ers guys that you mentioned are really interesting. I think. Uh, if we wanted to take a chance and go the college route, I think Tony Elliott would be really interesting as the charge as the Clemson offensive coordinator coming here and maybe just throwing out different college concepts and, you know, bringing something to the table that we haven't had. So I think that could be interesting, but probably less likely. And what about Lane Kiffin? (laughs) (laughs) Old Pete Carroll guy. He'll he'll get Pete Carroll coffee. He's done it before. That guy just like, always pops up somewhere right i mean he's just always he is he still at florida atlantic no he's at isn't he at ole miss now yeah you're right. i think he's the head coach yeah, of ole, ole miss, miss. Yeah, what i'm miss. scared of boys is there's an assistant for the raiders named john morton who was offensive coordinator oh, for God. usc after sarkeesian yeah. left to come to washington isn't the guy like 52 or something too yeah he's older he really likes to run the ball he worked for pete carroll as an offensive coordinator i that that would scare me and want me to take a polar plunge into lake washington so i really hope i'd go curl up it. in a ball but i think that's possible that your name we might hear well and that's what i'm days. saying he might just get a yes man like that's right. the other side of this yeah. that we're not even really touching on um, I think of the guys that we've talked about before you just brought brought up, what was his name? Morton mm-hmm. um, is uh, I think Shane Steichen is probably kind of a yes man guy, like um, at least from, from what I gather. So we'll see what happens. It'll be really interesting. Um, it's, it's obviously an opportunity and just because Pete has said that he wants to run the ball doesn't mean that this offense can't be, cutting edge or develop like like um um innovative you know like there's ways to do that through a run centric game and like like pete said also he's not looking to run the ball you know 40 50 times a game like he just doesn't want to pass probably 70 percent of the time like they were this year he probably wants to get closer to closer to balance i don't think it's going to be 50 50 i think he'd be happy with 60 40 and i'd be perfectly fine with that I think I think part of this whole thing is Seahawks like Twitter and Seahawks fans reading way too into Pete's comments. Pete lies. Oh yeah. No, that's true. We know that's true. Yeah, that's that's fair. Like he this could all be a facade and he could go hire fucking Mike Leach. <laughs> oh god oh i hope not <laughs> uh, if someone hires jimmy lake for defensive it's, coordinator it's not, score it's not zero it's, points it's not gonna happen but i'm just saying like for for sure there's some merit to his his words i think i think they are going to have a more focused running attack next year it's not going to be russell drops back to pass 40 to 50 times a game 35 to 45 i should say but um it doesn't mean that it it can't be explosive and it can't be an innovative offense. So I maybe that's just the optimist in me. I I just I think 
we need to have a chess player on off on the offensive coordinator side of the ball. And um, it needs to be someone that Pete trusts enough that he gives them the reins. Um, and he will always be a micromanager. That's just how Pete operates. And I don't think we're ever going to be able to stray away from that. But um, if, if he's able to get someone that at least aligns with his philosophy, as far as taking care of the ball, like turnovers is the kind of like the number one thing for Pete Carroll. And this year, 12 and 0 when they had uh, less than two turnovers, 0 and 5 when they had two or more. So there is some merit to that. Turning the ball over is, is a bad thing. Um, but it, if, if, if he has someone that's aligned with his philosophies, I think the chances are greater that he will let them install the offense that they want to install and give them a little bit more free reign and do less meddling. And we won't find ourselves in those fourth and one situations where he's bickering with the offensive coordinator and they don't get a playoff and the whole thing turns to shit. And that's, that's not the, I mean, that's, that's not the only time that's happened to like what just happened. Like it's happened in a bunch of goal line situations before. Like it, it, it drives me up the fucking wall when that kind of shit happens because it's, it all reflects back on Pete, like not being, um, uh, uh, being, or rather being stubborn like in those situations. So, yeah, I know we're starting to wrap up some of our Seahawks talk here and we're talking about, you know, Pete Carroll likely moving towards running the ball more. The last quick question I'll pose to both of you is, is number 32, Chris Carson carrying the rock next year, unrestricted free agent. He's going to be expensive. Will he though? I think he will be. I don't think he's going to be like anywhere near the top earning running backs, but he's damn he's sure going to co- he's yeah. damn sure going to cost more than six hundred thousand dollars a year that he's making right. now. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my gut says no. Yeah. I, agree. I think it would be dumb. Running backs have such a short shelf life. You can't. And he has never shown the ability to stay healthy. Yeah. I love Chris Carson. I think he has an awesome mentality, but is thinking of the business side i just yep. don't think we should do it yeah i completely so, agree i think if we agree on and especially that, if, new... if, especially if you end up with one of the niners guys though who the fuck cares if you have it running back yeah that's true <laughs> that's true but that's kind of the exciting thing right we're talking about new yeah. offensive coordinator we're gonna have likely probably a new running back to be a focal point of the offense who knows how that might go it's prob- probably gonna be rashad penny is gonna be the focal point next year and then oh. we'll build off of him uh, I don't you like ready that. for it? That's scary. Like that. You ready for it? Don't like it. Talk about not. They'll, they'll have they'll have a couple other veterans in there. It's just who they're going to be. Carlos Hyde might be back. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, we'll have to re-sign him too then. Yep. Mm-hmm. But he won't be that expensive though. He'll be like two million, two or three million. Yeah, that's what he's at now. But yeah, it'll be interesting nonetheless. It will be. It will be. It's going to be Long- fascinating. Long off season awaits. Yeah, for both Husky football and Seahawks football. That's the shittiest part about this whole thing. Yeah, like Enoch Bagshaw said, we ain't got no football anymore. We ain't got no football now. What we do with our lives? We ain't got no football. Um, I think we've I think we've probably mostly covered everything when it comes to Seahawks. 
let's touch on, on some Husky notes real quick, Sam. Um, some, a few, few headlines that have come out um, in the past few days and past week or so. And then we'll just kind of touch on some of the guys to look for in the rest of the playoffs, obviously no Seahawks anymore. So root for some of these UW guys in the playoffs. Um, but go ahead, Sam, why don't you talk about the, at least the, the couple of players on, on UW's roster that are, um, are noteworthy, I guess. <laughs> Don't want to give it away. Yeah. Big breaking are, news here. Are noteworthy. <laughs> yeah. So as we touched on in, in previous episode, with there's just going to be a lot of transfer portal activity. You know, we've been waiting to hear for a couple of these seniors that could potentially return for the upcoming season. Another one has made their decision in defensive lineman. Josiah Bronson is leaving for the NFL. I don't think that's a big surprise. We, we talked about it plenty, but that I think this would have been his seventh year of college eligibility. Yep. So I think it's really just someone that's ready to move on from college ball. I don't really know what the NFL has in store for him. He's a great athlete. He's a big body. He moves really well, but he's never proven to be a consistently productive force for the Huskies. So maybe he is a practice squad guy and makes a couple hundred thousand or million dollars over a couple of years and good on him. He's got his UW diploma in hand, so I'm sure he'll be fine. And then the other news that is a little bit more surprising is Ty Jones is entering the transfer portal. He's a graduate transfer, so he'll have two years of eligibility and immediate eligibility to play with some of the wide receivers the wide receiver room is just packed. So we did anticipate to see some turnover here and whether that was going to be someone like Ty Jones wasn't really sure. I mean, he definitely saw some snap count, but again, didn't really contribute to the offense this season, the way that he probably anticipated and fans anticipated. I don't think that wide receiver room is done with some turnover. I think someone like an Austin Osborne or Marcus Spiker could also consider the transfer portal. I think you're seeing guys like, you know, I anticipate Terrell Bynum will be back in healthy. Puka Nakua will be back in healthy as kind of your two veterans. And then you're looking to the three freshmen, or I guess one being a redshirt freshman, Sawyer Rocanelli and Jalen McMillan and Romo Dunze. Actually, all three of them were true freshmen. Yep. And I think Sawyer they're going to Sorry, just didn't see the field. Yeah, I know he's rehabbing a knee injury from his senior year prior to his senior year in high school football. But so keep an eye out and we'll continue to learn more. There's some other opt outs that we haven't really gotten clarification on. I know Kamari Pleasant's another name that hasn't yep. really made a decision yet. So we'll keep you updated as those things trickle in. But just wanted to fill the listeners in on those two moves that I think were announced yesterday and today. And then just going down the list, you know, I guess before going into the playoff list, I think Buda Baker is worth a shout out here. First team all pro at safety and just had a hell of a year, really carrying the torch for the pro dogs in the league. And coming is there a off, better is there a better ball pursuer at the safety position than I don't Buda know if Baker? there I don't know if there's a better safety. You can make yeah. the argument. There's a there's Oh, I mean it's first team all pro. Yeah. I mean that's yeah, uh, that's basically what that is. But I'm just saying, like 
No. His ball pursuit's just ridiculous. There's nobody better. He's a heat-seeking missile, and you see him on some of those tackles where he just like flashes into the screen and the ball carries on the Mm -hmm. ground, and you're like, what the hell just happened? Buddha happened. So (laughs) hats off to Buddha. Big year. And again, you know, coming off of the big payday, he became the highest paid safety in the NFL. You know, a lot of times you see those guys get paid and their motivation and their work ethic kind of slows down a bit, but he shows that he's been worth every penny of that so far, making his first all pro team selection here. So hats off to Buddha. Really happy to see the success that he's having. And then Connor, why don't you give a shout out for those that, you know, can muster up the courage to continue watching NFL football without the Seahawks being involved. There are, you know, more than a handful of former Huskies still, still in the running for the Super Bowl. Yeah, so a couple guys on the Rams uh, that we saw last week, Greg Gaines and Coleman Shelton. Neither of them play a lot, but um, you will see, especially, especially Greg Gaines, you'll see him get some snaps for sure. So Especially if, depending on how Aaron Donald right. comes back yeah. from his injury. He'll play. He'll Greg play. Gaines is... Yeah. He played decent. Yep, yeah. he did. Yeah. He's a good Annoyingly. player, dude. I think you only had. I think you only had like a tackle, but like he held up the line of scrimmage. Well, I mean the the yeah. Rams dominated the line of scrimmage on right. the ball. That's one thing that we didn't really talk talk about at least explicitly, but they dominated on both sides. Yeah. Um, Kevin King on the Packers. Um, obviously had an injury uh, earlier this year, but has come back from that and played really strong. Um, and uh, kind of is one of the few. Uh, bright spots on on a struggling defense so we'll see what what happens with Kevin King in in these playoffs Uh, Packers with the one seed so they'll take on the Rams this next week and you'll see see those guys go go up against each other Marcus Peters with the Ravens had a big game ceiling interception (laughs) nice little dance on the logo his shit yeah yeah, um, against the Titans so Kind of fun, fun to see uh, him talking his shit, but also just reminds me of the antics that he would have on on UW's sideline, and Chris Peterson wasn't about it, and that's ultimately why he got kicked off the team. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, couple guys for the Browns who pulled off a big upset win over the Steelers, Marvin Hall and Nick Harris. I believe Nick Harris is still starting right now on their offensive line. I, I'm yeah. not positive on that, but yeah. Yep. Um, and then Marvin Hall is is a factor in their return game and also getting some snaps at receiver as well for them. Um, Dwayne Washington is with the Saints, uh, so uh, mostly a special teamers teams are for them. Um, I don't know if he's really ever like even gotten offensive snaps for them besides like garbage time this year. So, um, but good for Dwayne for obviously making a making a living off of his special teams play. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be on year five. Yeah, I, someone, someone in the in like a UW graduate that I didn't see lasting in the league as long as he has. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And then a couple guys for the Bucks: Jadon Mickens uh, again in the return game, and then Benning Potoai. Um, I'm not sure. Like it said that he played, but he just I, got called up. Okay. He did play. He just got called up from the practice squad last or two weeks ago or three weeks ago cool and so he's getting in there and he's a big body athletic guy so keep an eye out for him yeah for sure so we'll we'll see if he ends up making a making a home with the bucks but good to see him on the field and making an impact for their team in the playoffs 
Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Real quick, I want to just do a, a quick roundup, Robin. What are your guys' predictions for the Super Bowl? I do not care. Well, if there's <laughs> UW guys involved, you might. Yeah. Uh, I, I probably would go for a Bills-Browns or no, Bills and Browns are on the same side. Let's see. Is this who you want or who you're predicting? Who I want. <laughs> Shit. Uh, I would love to see the Bills or the Browns win the Super Bowl. It would be cool. Yeah. Uh, in the Super Bowl, it will be the Packers versus the Bills. Go Bills. Go Bills. Indeed. But that will be the Super Bowl matchup. What do you even, think? Connor? Even though the UW guys on the Packers, but I hate Aaron Rodgers and I don't like the Packers in general. So, um, not Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah. Anybody? Yeah, Any I mean, from, from from the NFC, I'd, I I want it to be the Saints um, of the four teams left, but. From the AFC, God, there's three teams that do it for me, and it's the Bills, it's the Browns, and it, not not because I would root for them, but I could see the Ravens going on a run. I think Lamar Jackson yeah. is really hitting his stride at the right time right now, that offense especially. Mm-hmm. And um, they beat a really good Titans team last last week, so – I, I'll go with that as kind of a dark horse pick. I I think it'll be Ravens versus Saints, and then the Ravens win the Super Bowl. There you have it. I'm not like super confident in that pick either. <laughs> I, just, like, I mean, I the Ravens are playing throw, well. They could definitely throwing it out there to be different. They could definitely go to Buffalo and win this weekend. I think that's yep. Probably 40, I, I think the winner of that chance. The winner of that game ends up in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean the Chiefs haven't been playing super well. No, that I think they're. Yeah. Th- no, I wouldn't say they're pretenders, but like they've been eking out victories all year. They have a target mm-hmm. on their back because they're the yeah. defending Super Bowl champs, so they're going to get everyone's A game playoffs. So they're all, everyone's going to bring their A game. But you know, there's just that extra mustard for beating the defending champs. So yeah, for sure. Um. Well, I think I think that pretty much mostly wraps up this episode obviously as sam alluded to we're kind of entering a dark quiet period period especially in seattle sports especially with husky basketball and the shitter um so there's not much as far as like in-season stuff to talk about for the next couple months um so we want to hear from you guys we want to we want to interact with our listeners and want to hear what you guys want to hear um so obviously there's going to be plenty of off-season stuff when it pertains to football both huskies and seahawks that sam and i will do spot few episodes on when there's big updates like when the seahawks hire an offensive coordinator all three of us will probably come on and talk about that and what that means might not be as long of a podcast but there will definitely obviously be thoughts on 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 that hire so and the ramifications of that hire so um that'll probably come in the next couple weeks is my guess that higher so um we'll see what happens there uh sam and i i guess to tease for next week are gonna have ryan sapardo uh oregon state special teams 
coordinator quality, or quality control quality control um so um he's gonna come on with us uh very nice of him to set aside some time and come on the podcast next week um and we're gonna talk about kind of the 2020 season and what that looked like from the inside um coming from a coach at at a pac-12 school that that experienced it um and obviously just kind of talk talk about the state of the pac-12 in general and all that uh, husky updates and all that kind of stuff um in an episode next week uh i mean before we know it, the Mariners and Sounders will probably be playing again, but it seems like a long way off right now. So we'll probably have some preview episodes for that. NHL season just started tonight as we're recording this. Um, so obviously no team right now, but with the Kraken heading into town in 2021, later on in the year, um, we uh, are going to try to do maybe a segment every episode or every other episode on maybe some NHL stuff. Um whether it pertains to certain teams or just more more likely players and coaches, and especially if there's certain developments within within the Kraken um, franchise themselves, we'll we'll update you on that stuff as well. But obviously, want to hear from you guys, and and uh, it's it's all on the table here. Anything to, to do with Seattle sports? If you guys really want us to talk about Husky basketball, we can, but it's pretty much just going to be shitting on Mike Hopkins. Um, yeah. So there's just not a lot to talk about there. It, I mean, they are an awful, awful team. It's really about bad. It, it's it's about as low as I've ever seen like a Husky basketball or football team besides the year that we don't speak of in football. Yeah, thanks. So. <laughs> I said I said the year we don't speak of. So I didn't I didn't say his name. Yeah, don't do it. I won't. Well, before we wrap up, Justin, why don't you go ahead and give your your uh, EPL podcast a shout out, um, and then yeah, we'll do a we'll do a quick wrap. Sure, thanks, Connor. I mean, we're in mid season form in the English Premier League, so their season is August to May. So if you want to still keep the sports um, the sports on the television, then check out over the top EPL. We're on this all the same platforms as Emerald City Fandom. And so we talk everything about EPL and Sam's favorite player, Christian Pulisic. So Woo! Captain America. Uh, right on. Yeah, de- definitely folks. If check out, check out Justin's podcast over the top EPL, especially as, as things are kind of in a quiet period here, here now, the, and the EPL is kind of right in the, right in the heart of their season right now. And, um, Lots of news and updates from those guys over at over the top EPL. Definitely give them a listen and tune in to see some EPL action on these on these weekends. That pretty much everywhere else in the sports world is going to be pretty quiet, at least when it comes to Seattle sports. So, um, with that being said, guys, I think we're probably going to call it a wrap. Do you guys have anything else to say before I I give us an official sign off? I don't know if it's been mentioned on this podcast. I might have missed an episode, but because of coronavirus, NBA has lost some money. And so there's potential talks of expansion um, with the Sonics. So I'd be curious to get on a future episode, your guys' thoughts on some of that. Yeah. Great subject. For sure. Yeah. We, We will do an episode dedicated to that within the next month or two, just to um, mix it up and obviously have something to talk about during an NBA season. 
um, and obviously a time when not a lot else is happening in the Seattle sports realm. Um, but it's obviously a, a topic of note and um, there, there's been some developments on that front. So definitely worth mentioning. Good job, Justin. Th thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, <laughs> always got our back. Good job. But Good job. Until then, go Hawks and go dogs. <laughs>